Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. We've got a great show for you today. Our guest is Craig Cecilio. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Diverse Fund. And I love what they're doing here. As you've probably heard in previous shows, anybody who's taking the approach consumer first is going to get my attention. I love products that really focus on the consumer, whether they help investors and or, or builders and agents and all that. That's great. But end consumer is just where my heart's at. And that's exactly what Diversity Fund is doing. Let me read you something that comes directly from their website. It says Diversity Fund is a zero fee alternative investment platform built for people who refuse to settle for average returns and who are ready to change their future, built for people like you. And that's what they're doing. They're making investments into large buildings, you know, like 200 unit apartment buildings accessible to those who are maybe are or are not accredited investors. So you don't have to have a large net worth. You literally might get a, get a, your, your tax refund check and say, you know what, I'm gonna invest this instead of buying that TV. $2,500 is the minimal investment. That is so doable for most people. And then it's securitized with real estate. It's, it's beautiful, I love it. So I don't wanna give it all away. We also talk about some fun leadership stuff as well as some great books that you'll wanna pick up. So anyway, kick back, enjoy the show. Hey, Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm doing very well. It's a little warm. Sun is shining right in the window here, but he's got a good cup of coffee and I'm ready to go. Yourself? Great. We have overcast here in San Diego. Believe it, it's like 62 degrees and it's raining. So we're we, we, all hiding inside. That's our gift from the Pacific Northwest down to you guys there in your ever drought California. You know, you guys need that more than we do. So, <laughs> but uh, well, hey, let's let's get kickstarted here right I want to give you the opportunity to let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Craig Cecilio. I'm CEO and founder of Diversity Fund. So we're a financial technology company that offers alternative investments through real estate for everyone. All right. So well, let's jump right to that because, you know, this is something that, you know, of course, being a marketing guy, I've looked through some of your messaging and I love the fact that you guys really are thinking through how do we make investing available for everyone. So pull this right off the front page of the website. I'll read it and then ask you to break it down for me. Yeah. Diversity Fund is a zero fee alternative investment platform built for people who refuse to settle for average returns and who are ready to change their future built for people like you. So what's the big problem you're tackling and how are you doing it? So what we're tackling is we are opening up these investment opportunities for everyone. Traditionally, they've been reserved for someone with their social economic status. In the financial world, it's someone considered an accredited investor. You had to have to have a certain net worth or annual income to qualify. So you just got to imagine how many people in the U.S. qualify as a credit investor. I think the number is around 10 to 12 million. The number's always moving with the U.S. Census Bureau. It's probably a little sure. bit on the high end today. So how many people are in the U.S.? 350 million? I think it's like something like that. Yeah, so it's a pretty small portion of the population. Yeah, so most of the population is denied access to this investment opportunity. So therefore, most of the opportunity are denied wealth building investment opportunities. So I keep going, They don't. you don't have a choice. You probably don't have awareness, one. Two, the government's kind of taking away that choice from you. So we use one of the uh, 
uh, regulations that came from the Jobs Act through the, I would say, a term it through the crowdfunding phase over the last five years. We took one of the regulations, got qualified through the SEC, so we could offer this to anybody, regardless of your network. Okay, so you're saying that, and this is probably jumping a little further ahead, but what you're saying is you, you're you're tapping into new laws that have been passed a few years. Was this this was under Obama, the Jobs Act? I think it was part of the Dodd Frank bill, the okay. Jobs Act, 2012. Over. It got enacted, and then our portion of it went to effect about May 2015. Mm-hmm. First one of these instruments really active or qualified through the SEC until late July 2016. It's very, very new. And and it enabled you to do what specifically? Well, it enabled us to raise money from people regardless of their net worth. So Got it. anybody qualifies before you had to have a certain net worth to qualify for. Right, right. So, so you know, it, it used to be like credit investors hanging out the golf club or their private, you know, investment club or that kind of thing. But now, because it's open to everyone, the true opportunity for scale and leveraging tech like you guys are, you know, being a tech-forward tech company, you're able to to bring real estate investing to the masses in a, in a true and meaningful way. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's just a whole new world for us. And so that's obviously then that has something to do with you guys getting your start in 2000. 2016, right? Yeah, we found the company in 2016. We built out the platform. We built out the branding. We built out the infrastructure, built the culture up, and then set to qualify through the SEC. That took a little bit longer than expected. They're not the fastest turnaround time. It's not It's not like a fast food joint putting in order to get it. It's for... <laughs> Wait, hold on. The government isn't the fastest at moving on things here? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. And, it's, uh, and you know, that's another thing. The barrier to entry to create one of these things as a business owner, the fees involved just set one of these things up and it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And it's not something that like, hey, I'm going to just get qualified and then all of a sudden people are going to hear me. And you have to build a business around it. You have to build a brand. You have to hire employees. So you add all that up, kind of the barrier to entry as a business owner is a couple million dollars. Wow. That's why you don't really see a lot of this out there because the people who can afford it, they're already what? They're already doing it. They're, they're, they're doing their own portfolio. <laughs> yeah. So why would they why would they try to go down this path? And so now you, let's question too. <laughs> well, let's cover your history a little bit because you're not new to real estate. It's not like you suddenly woke up and said, man, I want to start a fund and I'm just open this up to everybody because I heard about this thing that you can do where you raise money together. You, you've, you've had a fair share experience investing in real estate. <sighs> I knew about real estate since I was a kid. I think even growing up, I think uh, I used to have the best kids football games because we had the largest backyard as a kid growing up. I was the smallest kid, the youngest kid, but I had the largest backyard. So everyone came to our house uh-huh. to kind of tackle football. And so I kind of knew something back when I was six or seven years old, a little bit about real estate and what, what had some intrinsic value to it. So it's kind of mm-hmm. been a lifelong thing for myself. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the funds. So, okay, we have, uh, there's two categories. We have, un, you know, unaccredited investors to your average Joe, so to speak, and accredited investors. Is that the only, is that how you break it out on the on the website with Diversity Fund? Or is there a few different opportunities for each category? Well, we're opening up to everybody. We don't discriminate. So we're not asking you if you're accredited or not. We just, it's a basic qualification, kind of the rule, general rule of thumb with investing as long as it's not more than 10% of your net worth. 
then that's the amount you should invest in these vehicles or this investment. So our minimums are as low as twenty five. And then the the real estate in those funds, where where are you guys buying? Well, we're kind of very opportunistic, so we're chasing yield throughout the U.S. So geographically located to the West Coast, the Southern United States, uh, Northern Pacific West as well, Rocky Mountain area. So we have our team throughout throughout that area right now locating these properties. Got it. And, it, and these are are these primarily single family, or are you guys staying sticking with the multifamily? We're we're sticking with the multifamily. Usually, it's a minimum of two hundred units that we're looking at. Something that the average kind of mom pa investor really doesn't have an opportunity to invest in. The yeah. dollar amount's a little too high for them, and it's just bit below the large, really large institutional investors like BlackRock. They're not going to kind of be in this asset kind of amount as well. Yeah, and that, see, that's I think you hit an important piece here. And this is what I like. So, you know, when you have a building that has 200 some people first or 200 units, first off, it has to have a city that supports such density. So that means you've got a, you know, likelihood, you've got a greater, you know, economies of scale in the area, you have more income, you have more industry, more things supporting and propping that, you know, that local economy up to make that that investment a longer term safer investment whereas you know if i were to just go out and try and buy up you know one of the condo units in that building i just wouldn't get the same return as being part of you know joining forces with you guys to buy in on that building yeah so we're really looking at some strong kind of market conditions economic indicators about the jobs market in that particular area is there like a military base close by is it close to university how's it looked over the last decades in that area of job mm-hmm. growth so really it's kind of a deeper dive into more kind of sophisticated investment than kind of just a single family, which is more driven by supply and demand and interest rates. Yeah. Are you guys seeing any particular markets that are standing out to you? Like these are the cities that we think are going to be the, the next big hit, or you want to keep those cards uh, secret? Well, I'm not going to show all my cards right now. <laughs> but there are opportunities. One city that has kind of popped up in the last few years, you just feel has still got room to grow. Just one? Just one. Well, do you know where Amazon's moving? Well, they got three locations, I thought, ain't? Yeah, so I would. You could chase these larger companies, and if you know where they're going, and they're some suburb of some city, that would be a great area to buy. I think it's perfectly legal to do that in real estate to go out there and understand, hey, where are these companies from buy and buying the real estate in that in in that area. So I don't think there's anything against the law to do that. So I would kind of look at these larger companies and, and see where they're moving into and maybe anything near universities. I've always found very good college cities. Mm-hmm. A lot of colleges across the US. Come to Bellingham, Washington. Yeah. We we, we tried in Washington for a few. We lost out on a couple. Prices okay. are a high. Yeah. I've, you know, I've said for, for many years, show me a college town and I'll show you a thriving local economy. And I don't care what anybody says. There is no rhyme or reason that college kids can't be that broke. I mean, why is it always good, nice downtowns in the same city as a college? I mean, somebody's buying all the stuff. Yeah. That's how I've always thought. Your strategy on location, though, sounds interesting. It reminds me of, and I don't know if this is true, but of Wendy's location hunting. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but they just basically find a McDonald's and then they go build a Wendy's. Wasn't McDonald's does all the hard work. There was someone else who did something. Is that just Wendy's? I thought that was like another I mean, fast food restaurant. If I was in the fast food industry, I'd have to say that that's a pretty safe location bet. You know, if there's a McDonald's, put a whatever your fast food joint is, get as close as you can to that McDonald's. That's what I would say. 
<laughs> yeah, there, there, he's, he knows Sal. Well, he did know how to buy real estate too. So he knows where to Yeah. Do. So let's, let's talk about, I know you said that there's not much of a screening process when people are looking to sign up for the diversity fund. They're, they're looking at different opportunities that you guys have to buy into, but is there any sort of guidance or help? Because obviously the average Joe, let's, you know, I mean, well, I'll, I'll just put me in there. Okay. So I'm the average guy. I've got some real estate, but I don't have a massive portfolio. I don't put my money in stocks and bonds. I don't trust it personally. And so I want to put my money secure into real estate or real estate, you know, connected funds. So, but I'm not so sure which fund to choose. How do I make those decisions? Oh, I think it's like anything else. Let's, let's compare it to like, if you were going to invest into a company, you're going to probably look at the management structure of the company first, right? First and foremost, mm. probably the operators of that company. And I think the second thing you're going to look at is the strategic plan of that company. What does that look like? And what product are they selling, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with us. It's like, look at the operators, look at who's running the company first. It's not our first rodeo doing this stuff. Like you said, I have prior experience in real estate, but I also have prior experience running companies. Those are two things that are very sound because you need not for us to know what we're doing about real estate. You need us, us to know about running a company. So the company's still around five to 10 years. So we have a track record there. Then you look at the particular asset that we're closing or choosing. In our case, we have a multi-unit, 200 plus units. Compare that to everything else in real estate. You could see how it's more conservative than doing speculation. If we're doing some type of lending, if we're doing new construction, you put that all, you start going down, your risk kind of level kind of goes down a little bit compared to everybody else. It's a lot of different boxes you're checking off. And you can even go for a deeper dive as well. Uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper into, okay, what geographical locations are assets in and what's the jobs markets around in that asset. Got it. No, that, that, I think that's very helpful. And I, you, you're right. I mean, there's obviously there's a ton of things to consider and you want to feel comfortable and good about who's running it. Cause the last thing I see, and then I'm going to bring it up because I think this is something that people get afraid of. Like, you know, we hear, hear the horror stories on Kickstarter, which unfortunately, you know, crowdfunding, we, we talked about this before the show. What does crowdfunding even mean? Actually, let's, let's, let's tackle that first. Cause this is a form of crowdfunding, but how do you define crowdfunding and how do you see that, how that, you know, defines within the realms of what diversity fund is doing? Yeah. That word has been around for a long time. So it's got popularized and then it's kind of got, and butchered a little bit. I think what we did is we took, there was some regulation that got passed of the Jobs Act and all of a sudden everyone started coming up with crowdfunding or crowdsourcing. And technically speaking, it's when you bring a pool of people together and you, you fund a transaction. So you had Kickstarter, which was way below, way before all these platforms um, right. started. And before that, you had syndication that's been around for since the Securities Act in 1933. People were syndicating deals together to finance all sorts of projects, companies, businesses, or whatever. So it's been around. And I think before that, people just probably traded animals or something for something, goods and services. So there's, <laughs> there's always some form of manner that it existed. And so for us, we just kind of looked, went going in, and we knew that what got passed in 2012. And we said, okay, what about this can we build a business around? And we said, well, traditionally, because the Securities Act, you had to have a certain net worth, do most of these transactions. How can we do this and offer this to everyone? So we kind of looked at that and said, okay, this is going to be passed in 15. How do we strategically start the company? And how do we go build a brand up to do that? And that's how we kind of started. And to us, really, it means to us is everybody and putting everybody together, like mass amounts, leveraging technology. So it's not like one person with $5 million doing something or a hedge fund or an institution doing something. Now we take that one at 5 million, flip it around. Maybe it's 5 million at $1. 
which would be a technological kind of nightmare for us. But <laughs> you could say if we could achieve that, we would love to achieve that. We just have to negotiate the bills down with the accountants charging a hundred bucks per return on a dollar investor. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what we're doing. We kind of flip that around and how do we have the masses come together and give everyone this opportunity to, Hey, you know what? I haven't had a chance before. I haven't even had a choice before to do this. And, and one, we really have to create awareness for everyone. And then we're going to give you a choice. Hey, this is what we offer. This is what we do. Would you like to join our community? Would you like to try this out? Yeah. How do you um, help people feel confident that their money is going to be is going to be safe? Because I mean, when you, you know, obviously, when you go buy a building, you take out the full risk of ownership and management of that building, but you still have the building. So when you when yeah. you invest in this manner, while you know the money's being securitized by buildings, the, you know you're you're not necessarily getting equity of each building, correct? So what the way a fund works is, let's say a fund. Let's keep it very simple. We we go and we buy ten buildings with the fund, and you are like and there's a thousand people involved, and you just equitably you have like a percentage of each of each building. Right. So okay. It's really collateralized where you put your money in the bank, it just sits in someone's account. It's, you know, or you do in a stock and you see those fluctuations. Or let's talk about some kind of uh, cryptocurrency. You see where that's kind of going all over the place. <laughs> So this is really attached to a collateral and that collateral that real estate is collecting rents. So it has cash flow coming in all the time. So it's really conservative in that manner of, of investing in the alternative investment world. Got it. Okay. I mean, so it's, I mean, obviously the, it, nothing is risk-free when you're talking investing, you know, including real estate, but this is a lot of people have buy-in. I did notice also in some of your collaterals that you talked about, you guys even, you're not hands off on this. You're putting money into these funds as well. You guys have a, you know, some skin in the game, if you will, as as well. So it's not like, you know, just some Kickstarter campaign where someone can raise, you know, a hundred bucks or a million dollars or whatever to supposedly build something and then run away with the money. Like there's, there's, there's checks, check balances in place to secure everyone's investment. Yeah, we're, we're engaged. Most of our income comes from the properties that themselves as well. So our cash flow to run our business comes from when the property's cash flow, we get a percentage. When we sell the asset, we get a percentage of that. So our interests are perfectly aligned with the investor. Got it. Yeah. So what are some of the reasons that people choose to invest with diversity fund versus maybe do it themselves or, you know, the old fashioned way would go figure out how to start a fund? <laughs> You can. Everyone has that choice, which is great about this country. You have a choice. Let's go with a dollar size. To find this asset class, you need to be a check writer of at least a million dollars. To find this asset class, someone has to present it to you. So who's going to present that to you? A broker, a developer, a broker mm. dealer, a banker, attorney, a CPA. How do they benefit by approaching you? They benefit by a commission or a fee. So they're going to run out to everyone who's got, even if you have $100,000, how much money are they going to make off of you? But if they run out to someone with a million dollars, they can make some money. So that's why they only share this with certain people. So that's one of the things. The other thing is the dollar amount is high too. A lot of people don't have that high dollar size. So they never, they go, oh, you know what? I, I'm not even going to think about this because I just can't afford to do this. So I don't have that choice. Another thing is kind of the qualification. Do I qualify to do this? So really kind of taking that away, it's like one, we're just producing awareness and then just sticking it in front of everyone and say, hey, you know, here's something I'd love to participate in. Sounds like it, it's, it's really comes down to as simple as, you know, people have already decided I want to invest 
I just got to figure out where to do it and with who they've come across you guys like your message, like your, you know, the way you do thing, like the potentials of returns and, and choose y'all. It sounds like you, you got to have some killer marketing on your end then. Yeah. Yeah. We got some good marketing. <laughs> I've seen your social media, man. Let's, let's talk about that just for like a split second. How many LinkedIn followers do you have? I feel like was it was, know. it's a, it's a big a couple, number. A couple, couple numbers. I need to put this together. See, this is important. I, I think people need to understand this. Like, if you have a good product, you have to be willing to go out and tell people about it because that literally is your social obligation. That is your moral responsibility. You got, yeah, you got eleven thousand followers on, on LinkedIn, but I feel like what was it? Your Instagram that was is that your big one? Yeah, I like my Instagram. That's a little high. How, how does your Instagram impact the business? I know this is kind of a side tangent, but I, I can't help but believe that, you know, people who are, who prove to be successful in, in one area that translates into the success of other areas in their business. So you obviously understand to some degree culture and, you know, people's interests and wants to be able to, to build up these profiles. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite a journey. And I, I think I am just developing great relationships with people for through my social media that I don't think otherwise I'd have that uh, chance to do. And, and so for me, it's just really developing friendships, business relationships, meeting new people, understanding how they're doing that. I talk to people all the time about how they run their businesses, other successful people, people who want to get involved in investing. It's it's a great it's a great instrument, it's a great tool, and, and yeah, that's kind of where we're kind of leaning towards everything, and it allows us to get the message out better, and it gets me to like sh- show some things about myself to people, especially through Instagram, of how I am just outside of business and who I am as a person at the same time, which I think is very important today, and that kind of rolls me into like today being a CEO in today's world, you have to have a digital presence, and without a digital presence. Presence, I, I don't think you'd be successful. Yeah, I totally agree. And obviously, like I, I think you're right. The CEO of of forward thinking companies today, you need to be your number one brand ambassador. It's it's no longer just sitting in the back room, you know, barking orders down to marketing. Say, why aren't we doing things like? This is the greatest opportunity, you know, to be, you know, to, to be out there on it. So I got to, I got to throw the number out there. 147,000 followers. It went down. Oh, geez. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know where your blue check is, man. I, I got to make some phone calls for you. Yeah, they, we're, we're trying to figure that out. So I did, I did have that conversation with marketing today. Like, where's my blue check? What's going I'll on? I'll tell you, here's the pro tip. 10,000 plus is the general benchmark. After that point, you actually don't know this, but someone in Facebook is dedicated to your account. You have one dedicated person. So you'll want to use the uh, the help, ask for help through your uh, profile, like request tech help, and that, that, that'll move you along. <laughs> totally <laughs> off topic here. <laughs> Let's talk about the growth. So you guys started 2016. Did you do an initial round of funding to get you guys up off the ground? I previously owned a firm before that. So okay. I had some startup capital, some seed capital I put in that was helped us out through the first year. And then we got revenue kind of coming in. And then we did a series A round that we finished up towards the end of last year. So we raised about close to 6 million on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first couple of years bootstrapped ourselves sec- in the second year started the series A round. So we're, well, we're almost end of third. About wow. Year. That's oh. a, I mean, that's a, that's a short amount of time to have to bootstrap. And that's a, a pretty considerable round then to get to the next level. Obviously that you guys are doing something right. The investors saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a previous, owned a previous real estate investment firm, owned a company before. So kind of, for me, it wasn't a lot of how, how do I build, get revenue going? That kind of, that was a natural mm-hmm. process for me. So it wasn't that, I wasn't really that stressed about it. I thought we had a great strategy, started building the team and it 
it's really now it's where on the tech side of things, that's where really we're throwing a lot of our costs and that's where we raise the money for to build that out. Yeah, you know, just it is with tech. Tech's just a hot thing. And you know, they're saying, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but I was asked talking to someone the other day and they said a data engineer or data scientist, 10 years experience in Silicon Valley is getting demanding five million bucks a year. Five million dollars? Give me some crazy stat. Oh someone should have told me this in high school. I'm changing industries immediately. I'm going to 10 years experience. That's like a retirement plan. By the time I learn to do math, I ain't, you know, it's gonna be too late for that job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so all about business intelligence and algorithms and cost. And and we're just, we're starting to like roll some things out with the tech that I was like, man, it's like Facebook does that. And I'm like, we do that. That's kind of cool. We do a lot of those things. It was really easy to do. It's just amazing. And it creates such efficiencies across everything. And one of the, the I think the big pilots this year is since we're so heavily focused on, on rents and, and to do some business intelligence around our underwriting. So it could pull the rents. And so we could have instantaneous analysis, market analysis of rents in that area. So that's one of the things we're doing to look for, to find purchase new properties or to just, and how do we stabilize those properties? So definitely if you're running a business today, you, you, you got to be data focused. Gotta yeah. Focused. You know, we've had, we've had several other companies on the podcast in, you know, the past few months that you're purely a data play in real estate. And, you know, for what they have echoed is saying that, you know, their customers see leveraging their services as an unfair competitive advantage and that they're able to do the work that used to require, you know, how many boots on the ground and digging into public records and, you know, trying to run comps when there were no comps. So you're calling, you know, brokers everywhere, but we're getting to the point where, you know, the democratization of data, but at large scale to the point where you can look at and say, I know the history of this building, here are the tax records, here are the ordinance of this town, here's the building abilities, here's the estimated building costs. This is the true value of that lot, regardless if building is there or not. And And I think- The AI could tell you faster than you just said it. What? (laughs) See, you know, this is, I feel like that was a minor dig at how slow I am, man. Come on. I thought I was going, I was moving along there. (laughs) I found out. So there was a, there's a little, the startup community out here had an event. They created a a little bit of a nonprofit to help San Diego improve San Diego. So I attended and the first thing they, they had, they introduced a problem and a bunch of these data engineers showed up. And so the problem uh, they chose to work on first and foremost, and they have this, they raised some capital to do it was how can we make the entitlement process, the permit process to the city of San Diego more efficient. Mm. So, and so there's a group of people already worked on that. I think cost communication and some nonprofit in the city of San Diego gave the grant money for this project. So you could see how local areas are already trying to incorporate uh, technology and data on day-to-day things. And that would just be, that's a game changer if all the cities across the U.S., could make the permit process a little bit more efficient because that's kind of what kills a lot of the real estate values and, and kills a lot of things and a lot of the transactions. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, obviously, everywhere is going to have some custom to it because, you know, people want different things and value different things in different communities. But man, if there could be some sort of standardization, that would just be, that would be incredible of what it, what it could do in reducing costs to, to building or refurbishing and rehabbing. Yeah, that was about two months ago, that meeting. So they've already started on that project. Well, that, that would be exciting. We'll have to keep uh, posted on that because anyone who makes ground on that and figures out a way to help cities move faster, <laughs> you're going to be the winner. 
<laughs> There's yeah. no way around that for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have only been running for a few years now, but obviously this, you know, one of the things I always like to explore is along the way, I'm sure there's been one or two things that you guys tried out, maybe an experiment, or you started going down one path and realized, hey, that's not the right path. Let's get focused. Mm-hmm. Is there any story that you can share of a, of a pivot or failed experiment and what you learned from that? Well, several, I would say, I'd say a lot of the stuff we're doing on the marketing side, we're kind of blind because we didn't incorporate data into that. So we really couldn't figure out our customer too well. And so we really had to invest more money in resources into that data of trying to figure out that customer. That was a big one. I mean, we started with the idea of what the asset class we have today is something we thought about three, four years ago before we started the company, it's on the right path there. A lot of things I think I anticipated along the way with with growing uh, the culture. I think a little bit was... I would say also on the tech side of things, we really build out some significant tech. I didn't know it had to be almost perfect across everything. Not perfect, but almost perfect. And if there's one broken piece of that tech, it just didn't work. Mm. So it didn't, didn't make sense to me, but now it makes sense after testing out. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> but it's a lot of kind of pieces that had come together. So I would say that would be the other one. Just have, having the data to make better decisions for costs and then have your tech kind of connected across all your platforms. You know, you didn't actually say this, but from what you just said, I think there's an important lesson to extract there. And this is for every founder out there. So I'm going to go ahead and and just assume real quick, you're not writing the code, right? You're not building the tech side of the product. The the passcode to get into it, maybe, but not that said. (laughs) The passcode. (laughs) Well, see, the whole point of what I'm getting at here is you went out and you found people who are smarter or better skilled and granted the ownership. And, you know, truthfully, this is fresh in my head. I've been listening to some Jocko Willink recently. And so you know, talking about ownership and his book, Dichotomy of, of Leadership. But I think it's just an, a really important lesson, you know, for, for founders out there that even if you were the one who wrote the first version, getting that, getting those people on your team who can take it to that next level, whether they're that $5 million a year data engineer or, you know, just an intern who's really bright and, and wants to make it happen. What you just said is is an example of someone already doing it. Like you're already doing that. Yeah, I mean, I'm big into org charts, and and I think we got to our growth phase of our company where everyone doesn't wear like ten hats. So right now, I'm hiring for specific skills, and especially skills I don't have. And so everyone who we hire across our organization, our tech teams, got to have a skill I don't have. Marketing team's really growing, so we're going to add someone to the team that okay, I'm the content person. Well, the content person wasn't good. Maybe I, like some kind of design. It's two different people. So it's kind of, we're, we're really kind of fortunate enough to be in a position that we can hire a specific skill set. And it's my, I believe my responsibility as a CEO is to hire the right people and put them in the right seat. And these people should be the experts and I shouldn't mm. be the expert because you can't learn. And especially if you're investing in a company, you want to invest with someone who's, who built the company before. And I'm kind of, the other day, kind of like a builder and building the company here. You don't want to invest in someone who's trying to do all the work themselves. It's not how you really build a company. It's how you get stuck in a company that's more of a sole proprietorship. That's not really building the company. Build a company, you can walk away. It kind of runs on its own. Yeah. No, I love it. And I know that you didn't, like I said, you didn't say that outright, but that's where I'm picking up from it. Well, let's, let's keep going. I want to shift a little bit. So we, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, you guys had raised some money previously, yeah. but obviously this is the hot topic in real estate. I think Cretex, you know, fundraising report for Q1 came out and said it was up again. You know, there's all kinds of money flowing into real estate tech. Whether these are people who 
are tech first coming into real estate or they were real estate first and they see the advantages of, of having a tech play. I think it's a, a mix of both. Why do you think though, now is the time for investing in real estate tech? I think right now I've, I've ran some analytics on fintech, even large, if you go a step above that, because I think real estate tech is kind of a, a segment of the financial tech sector. There's hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars that are yeah. being dropped into that space. Yeah. And I, I've been talking to a couple of people about it recently, and we're going to go probably for a series B round here because people are holding on. They have a lot of money. They've recruited a lot of money. Since you have a lot of money, you need to put that money out into some type of investment. And this is the asset class. They're choosing as a company they want to invest in. They think the, the sector has so much more room to grow because it's really like a traditional business that now now it's going online. So it's kind of a natural kind of progression here. Here's some businesses, mm-hmm. finances, real estate that were archaic in nature and technology is kind of going to rule in, you know, in perpetuity. So that's where it is right now. It's probably going to drill down to what's the next thing. But right now, it's, it's just starting to happen across that. And we just earlier talked about, hey, we talked about permits. We talked about market analysis on rents. All those things mm-hmm. that you have these jobs built around people doing the work are going to be replaced with artificial intelligence and data. So that's why the money is... It's kind of there's a surplus of money out there. Yeah, I, that, that's a, commonly what I've heard some VCs mention when they're when they're talking about it. Actually, their biggest problem is finding where do they put the money. It's not raising the money for the for their funds. It's it's like okay, we need to find someone who has potential scale here. Like where do we put this? Because we raised a ton. I think I just seen Pete Flint and his his firm NFX. They announced another a new fund for two hundred forty some million. And they've been heavy in the real estate tech space, obviously. So it seems like there's more coming. (laughs) There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Well, we're going to shift gears. We're headed into one of my favorite segments. It's a game, I suppose. We'll call it a game. We're going to play the game called For the Future. For the Future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give me their best predictions based on the following four questions. Craig, you ready to play? Yeah, don't ask me one question. Hope you don't ask me one question, but yeah, I'm ready to play. Oh, Yo, you know I'm going to ask it, but we'll get to the easy one first. First one is, what does Diversity Fund look like one year from now? One year from now, I am able to take some vacations and probably three times the size. <laughs> Does that mean like three days at a time? <laughs> Maybe two would be great. <laughs> <laughs> two days. There you go. All right. Well, that's pretty simple. I'll, I love that. What about the, the, give me an idea of the company. Yeah. One, one thing that you think the company will reflect or have grown to. At the end, we'll be entertaining a second product on our site. We'll be doing our second reggae offering in close to doubling about two and a half times our assets under management. And a, and a reggae fund for those who are listening is? A reggae plus is from the Jobs Act is we have to qualify to or the SEC to offer our investments for anybody, regardless of your net. So non investors can join in on that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. I'm, this is what I'm thinking you're going to tell me not to ask you. This is the, this is the question I think you're going to, you weren't asking for, but we'll see. We'll find out. I don't know. I'm going to ask it. What am I, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to ask you, what does the housing market look like one year from now? Oh, that's better. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> Wait, what did you think I was going to ask? Uh, something uh, about the 2020 thing going on. Oh, um, the elections? Yeah. No, I got no interest in that, man. Okay. That's good. <laughs> 
So, you know, I, I, the housing market, you got to look at your economic indicators. A great book I read was called Animal Spirits. It was, I think the co-authors, one was a woman, one was a man. He, one was a professor of economics at Princeton. The other one was a behavioral psychologist. And they talked about every crash, what preceded the crash was a a high incidence, a a liquidity event and a high incidence of, of fraud. So I really, how they like combined that over the last hundred years back into the late 1800s and they had a whole graph there. So I always look at my set. It's like, what, where's the liquidity? I still think it's hard for people to get loans. So I think that's kind of a good thing. Rate Rates are kind of low. So that's, that's good. But are they affordable for everybody? So I don't think we're in that kind of a bad position. There might be some minor readjustment, but I don't see anything that's going to be that crazy as we saw before. But if you do start seeing some crazy loan products arise, you start seeing some more incidents of high cases of fraud. You do know that stated income loans are back, right? Kind of, sort of. They just got high interest rates. That's all. Uh, you still, what they passed, you can't, they, the laws, the laws they pass are still in effect. So you still have to have some sort of verification. It's sure. Not, yeah. Like, write it down. Like they did, you, you write it and you write, it's an ninja loan. Right, right, right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're correct. It's not, so, it's not all like that. Yeah. But there, we know the pendulum is going to swing that way a little bit. And I think the sign, the writing will be on the wall. You'll know, you'll know. When yeah. For a big decrease. All right. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? It will continue, but wish go away. For There's nothing I really wish to go away. I, th- I think I think it's good. I think we're just kind of living a different world. We're living a digital world. So it's just, you got to be part of your, your online presence, your digital presence is, is, is how everything is. So, I mean, that's just the world we live in. It's not going anywhere. All right. And the final of For the Future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances. You really want me to say that? Yeah. Well, lately a lot of these Zillow and Redfin and Open Door, they're buying a lot of properties. So I see agents really kind of fading away, real estate agents. You're not the first to say that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Look, we'll just chalk it up. You heard someone else say that, you know, that way, just in case there's any negative pushback. No, I think these are fair questions because while, you know, some people don't want to acknowledge it, there are some elements uh, in real estate, there's added friction where maybe friction doesn't, is not required. And, you know, to some degree, software, it's one of the beauties about software. It solves a lot of those, pro- those problems and pain points that you maybe don't need to be there. And if you're consumer centric, you're going to solve those pain points for them because that's at mass scale. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that's a six to 7% spread on stuff is quite a lot of money for people. Yeah. Um, and it, it does affect decisions and people will find ways for that savings to go elsewhere. I'm personally pretty bullish with, when it comes to iBuyers from the, for the reason of this is wholesalers have been running the offer now guaranteed cash, you know, buy on your home for years. Mm-hmm. And they do it across the country in every market. And the difference is this is the company actually buying and closing on the home. Yeah. And they have much greater brand visibility, much greater brand experience. Well, probably than most, I'll say. And I think that I've talked to some people. I, you know, I've talked to New York Times bestselling authors and and TV personalities and, and people that have been successful in life who sold their home to a wholesaler. It blew me away. I was like, your home, your home is financeable, but they like the convenience. No open home, no open house. Houses. They didn't have to do any repairs. Didn't have to paint. You know, change carpet, all that, just to sell it. So I think I think there's something to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, Craig. Well, we're going to move on to the last three of the show here. These are questions more about you. So. 
our listeners get to know you a little bit better. We already got one book recommendation out of you, but want to know what else are you reading? This human behavior book. It's called Laws of Human Behavior. Uh, Robert Greene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And anything from Robert Greene. I'm right there with you. It's a great, great book. Good stuff. Question number two, who are you learning from? I learn from everybody. I mean, I, I think the, the biggest lessons I'm learning probably is from my three-year-old daughter, like everything she does, every, the way she looks at the world, everything that changes in her life. So I think today I, I learned the most from her. That's awesome. Last one here, Craig, what inspires you? Oh, geez. I just kind of naturally have a joy for life, a joy to challenge myself. I just look at it. Hey, we got only one shot at it, at this life. So you might as well go for it. You might as well have fun doing it. You might as well surround yourself with people who enjoy the same things as you. So I'm kind of just, I just kind of go around with that uh, attitude each and every day. And, and that's how I kind of want to live my life. That's awesome. I love it. Love the outlook. So much goodness here. Uh, I appreciate the, the book recommendation here. I'm Animal Spirits. I've already added it to my cart on Amazon. <laughs> I want to give people an opportunity if they want to connect with you or learn more about Diverse Fund. How do they do that? Where do they go? Easy to connect with me. It's my social handles, Craig Cecilio. Find out more about Diversity Fund. Just easy, diversityfund.com. Very simple to find. Yeah. And we'll put all the, the social handles to your, your massive Instagram following as well in the show notes. <laughs> Great, thanks. We'll make sure that's easy to link to. Um, Craig, I really appreciate your time. I know you got a ton of things happening all over the place, but thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to me here and share more about what you're doing at Diversity Fund. We'll, we'll be keeping watch on it. And then next time I will ask you uh, who you're voting for in the, in the next presidential election. I knew. Uh, that's the question I thought you are going to ask. I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to, but see, now I feel like I've got something juicy for the next 12 months or so to ask people. So maybe I will. That's my spot. <laughs> All right. We appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Nate. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list so you never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.